There we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God will add His blessings to the reading of His precious Word. And you know, one day that, will, that last verse, that will become a reality forever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for this time together with Your people. Thank You for those who've made the, uh, uh, the commitment to be here tonight. We pray that You bless Your Word. And as we begin this study in this precious psalm, Lord, may, may it have... Uh, may it become precious to us, to each of us. And uh, I ask for liberty now to teach your word, the ability to teach it, the power to teach it, and uh, may it just encourage our hearts as we take the time to study this this psalm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Psalms has been called the heart of the Bible. And uh, one author said this, quote, The Psalms are full of Christ. The Psalms are full of Christ. There is a more complete picture of him in the Psalms than in the Gospels. The Gospels tell us that he went to the mountain to pray, but the Psalms give us his prayer. The Gospels tell us that we, he was crucified, but the Psalms tell us what went on in his own heart during the crucifixion. The Gospels tell us he went back to heaven. But the Psalms begin where the Gospels leave off and show us Christ seated in heaven. So, <clears throat> as we begin Psalms, I just want to give you some facts here. Uh, first of all, uh, you're probably aware of this, but there are 150 Psalms. And I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read all 150 of them. Uh, I want to encourage you to do that. And, but especially uh, over the next few weeks... If you'll become familiar with Psalm 23 and read that at least once a week, it won't take you just a few minutes, not even five minutes, I don't believe, to read that, <clears throat> to read the entire Psalms. So, 150 Psalms, and of course they were written by uh, various authors. Now, we have here the Hebrew name. The Hebrew name for Psalms is Tehillim, and I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, which means praises. So we could just we could call the Psalms praises. Uh, the Book of Psalms is a collection of praises, and they are songs that are in poetic form. It's a book of devotion and praise. And of course, the key word in Psalms is praise. Matter of fact, it occurs a hundred and sixty times throughout the Book of Psalms. Now, many people, many people think that David is the author of the entire book of Psalms. How many of you have thought that? That he wrote all 150 Psalms? Well, 
the truth is uh, that he didn't. Uh, in fact, as far as we know, David only wrote 73 of the Psalms. So who wrote the rest of them? Well, we know that Moses wrote at least one. He wrote Psalm 90. Now, again, if you've never read Psalm 90, you ought to read it. Uh, what a blessing it is, especially I was looking at it again today. And uh, there's some things that he says here in Psalm 90 that are just so teach us, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In verse 10, he says, the days of our years are threescore years and ten. How many is that? Seventy. All right, once a score is sixty, so three score is sixty and ten is seventy. If by reason of strength they be four score years, eighty, yet is their strength labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. I like verse four also. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, and as a watch in uh, the night. Verse 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. Now, the occasion for uh, Moses writing uh, this particular psalm, it, it is unknown. Okay, we don't know why he wrote it, where, or when he wrote it. Uh, and if he was uh, the author of this psalm, then uh, Bible scholars, Bible teachers tell us that it is probably the oldest of the psalms. Well, you figure how far back Moses went, all right? And then Solomon, the son of David, he wrote two of the psalms. Asaph, he wrote 12 psalms. Uh, he wrote Psalm 50, and then Psalm 73 through 83. And then another fellow by the name of Heman, or Haman, uh, the uh, Ezraite, he wrote one of the Psalms. And these three men, Asaph, Haman, and Ethan, uh, they were Levitical, uh, they were Levite singers and musicians also, all right? And they played on on uh, stringed instruments. And uh, you can read about them. We won't take time to look at it, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Well, let's, let's do it. Melody, would you look at that, please? 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And uh, if you read 16 and 17, dear. Chronicles 15. Mm-hmm. Verse 16 through 17. And David spake to the chief of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. So the Levites appointed Haman, the son of Joel, and of his brethren Asaph, the son of whoever, and of the sons of Meriah, their brethren, Ethan, the son of another Another Jewish name. Another Jewish name. All right, good. Okay, so these three were, again, they were Levite uh, musicians. And uh, then uh, the sons of Korah wrote 11 of the Psalms. Now, Korah, you recall, uh, he rebelled against Moses. And you'll, you can read about that in Numbers chapter 16. And then there's a fellow by the name of Hezekiah. Do you remember Hezekiah? Well, he wrote 10 
of the Psalms. Okay, He was the son of Ahaz, and he was the 13th king of Judah. He was 25 when he began to reign. And his name means, God is my strength. What a wonderful name to have. How would you like to have that name? Hezekiah. God is my strength. And we know that, uh, you recall, he, he became ill and he prayed, asked God to extend his life. God gave him 15 more years. He extended his life by 15 years. And you can read that in 2 Kings chapter 20. And of all the kings of Judah, he was the most obedient to God. It's just, when you read about Hezekiah, you'll see uh, that he obeyed God's word. And then, 39 of the Psalms are anonymous. We're not sure who, who wrote them. And the book of Psalms, the completion of the book of Psalms, took over 500 years. How that was done, I don't know. But you figure if Moses was the first one or the oldest Psalm, Psalm 90, and then down, down through and all of these writers here, so it took 500 years to write all 150 psalms. Now, the word psalm comes from the Greek word psalmos, and that is a poem. It's a poem to be sung with a harp or stringed instrument. And we see that these men that we called out, that they were musicians. They played on, string, on stringed instruments. Psalms has played a large part in the life of God's people. Pastor alluded to that in his prayer. Um, no telling how many times he has used this psalm to bring comfort to those who have lost loved ones. And the same with me. I recall uh, when my brother passed away 20-something years ago. Uh, I, I, I officiated there at his, at his funeral, and I recall uh, reading Psalm 23. And I had some come to me afterward. They'd never heard it before. So, uh, But it has brought comfort to, to many of God's people. The book of Psalms actually was the national hymnal uh, for the Israelites. Did you know that? And for the New Testament church also. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul encouraged the early New Testament Christians to sing them. Listen to Ephesians 5.19. He said, quote, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He also wrote this to the Colossians in chapter 3, verse 16. He tells them, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And uh, James, we're going to see later on, but uh, when James wrote uh, his letter that we're studying uh, Sunday mornings during our Bible class, uh, when he wrote to the Christians who were scattered throughout the Mediterranean Empire, he said in chapter 5 and verse 13, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. And, uh, you know, psalms were sung with, as I said, with stringed instruments. Hymns were praises that were composed by Christians. And songs was a general term for any music that was used to worship and magnify uh, the Lord. You know, many churches in Great Britain, even today, and Ireland, still sing psalms uh, during their worship services. Mark, did you, there at Shepherd Drive, did you all used to sing some of the, used to sing the psalms? Yes, yeah. And you know, over the centuries, many, many writers have used their talents uh, to put the psalms to music. Can any of you think of one in particular, or maybe a little chorus? 
How about Psalm 118? Turn there, would you? Psalm 118. Verse 24. I'm sure you've heard the little chorus. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord hath made. I'm sure you've heard that. Before, if not, you just did. All right. So, Psalms. By the way, Psalm twenty-three has been called the pearl of Psalms. Isn't that precious? It's like a pearl. It's like a because it is a precious gemstone among the Psalms. It is the song of the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus. In Hebrews thirteen and verse twenty, we're told, "Now the God of peace." that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Psalm 23 is probably the most universal scripture known throughout the world. It's the most quoted, and uh, it's the most remembered. And of course, it's the most memorized of all the Psalms. And, and there, there, there probably is no passage in the entire Bible that is better loved or more familiar than Psalm 23. Of course, John 3.16 is right up there at the top also. There have been hundreds of books written about this psalm. If you go to my library in the library room, you'll see there I probably have a couple of dozen books just on the book of Psalm. It's been the theme of thousands of sermons. It has been the companion of soldiers during war. It has been read and preached at funerals. However, uh, this is a psalm that, listen, that should be used in life, not just at the time of death. We usually associate this psalm with death, don't we? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we're going to find out what that really was. Is this really a psalm for, the, for those who are dying? No, not really. This psalm should be, it, it should be used in the time during used during during life, okay, and, and we're going to begin this study of Psalm 23, and, and we're going to learn about the great Shepherd of the sheep and His care for His sheep. So let me begin by saying this: that this, and, and this may surprise you. I mentioned this Sunday, I think, as a sort of a teaser. Uh, this Psalm is not about David. Now that may surprise you. Have you ever read it carefully? David is not speaking here about himself, but about his shepherd. And, and what we have here, in this psalm, we hear David's voice as a sheep, all right? And he is addressing his shepherd. We do not hear the great shepherd's voice either. We don't hear God speaking here. But we hear the sheep magnifying his shepherd. And there's nothing in this psalm to tell us uh, positively uh, who, who wrote it. 
Yeah, matter of fact, the superscription or the title, what does your say under Psalm 23? Does it say anything? What does it say? A Psalm of David, all right. Well, that's not inspired. But it was added much later at a later date. All these subtitles here, all right, these superscriptions. The late British preacher, F.B. Meyer, said this, quote, There's no question as to who wrote it. David's autograph is in every verse. I like that. So what do we know about David? Well, he was, of course, a humble shepherd boy. What else do we know about him? You help me. He was a king. He was a king. What else? He killed Goliath. He killed Goliath. What else? Killed the bear and a lion. He united all of Israel. United all of Israel. Well, he was of course a mighty soldier. He became Israel's greatest king. But one author said this. Not only was he a heroic slayer of the giant Goliath, the devoted friend of Jonathan, a lover of music, and an able king. But he was also, and this is what we don't remember him for, he was a haggard fugitive, an adulterer, and a murderer. Yet, in spite of that, in spite of that, Acts 13.22 tells us that God said about David, quote, I have found David, a son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Isn't that precious to be remembered in that way? Not for the bad things he did, but a man who, whose heart was after God. Samuel, 2 Samuel 23 verse 1, it says he, he, he is referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel. The sweet psalmist of Israel. Now, some Bible scholars believe that David was in the twilight of his life, in the twilight years of his life when he wrote this psalm. And now he's an old man, but God's still using him. You know, it's, that's comforting to know that regardless of where we are in life, God can still use us. And he wants to. One author said Psalm 23 contains, quote, the words of a man who has lived and he's done much, who has greatly sinned and been greatly forgiven. David is an old man, ruling as king in, in Jerusalem, and he remembers how as a young man he cared for his sheep, how he led them, and uh, he fed them, how he protected them from danger. Only a shepherd could write this song. And that is certainly true. So in this study, we are going to meet, of course, the great, the great shepherd of the sheep. And we're going to see several things uh, in this psalm. Um, at least I have, uh, well, let's see here, six, at least six things that we're going to see. We're, we are going to see the great shepherd is personal to his sheep. We're going to see the great shepherd provides for his sheep. We're going to see the great shepherd is pitiful to his sheep. And then we're going to see the great shepherd protects his sheep. And then we're also going to see the great shepherd prepares for his sheep. And then finally, the great shepherd's plan 
for his sheep. And the first thing that I want us to notice about the great shepherd is that he is personal to his sheep. He is personal. Notice verse 1. The Lord, and by the way, not only is he personal, but we see here a divine person. David, uh, or yes, uh, the psalmist begins here and he says, The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. And the word that is used for Lord there is the, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. How many of you have ever heard, you've heard that, that word? All right. Yahweh. And, uh, excuse me, he, he begins this psalm by telling us who the shepherd is. Who is the shepherd? And, and, and he makes a personal declaration of a divine person. You'll notice that he didn't begin this psalm by saying, A Lord, or some Lord, is my shepherd. But he made the emphasis, The Lord is my shepherd. So who, who is the Lord that David is speaking of here? You know, in a day uh, when the rest of the world believed in and worshipped a plurality of gods, the Hebrews proclaimed in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, is one Lord. And in each of those where Lord is used, there it's all capitalized. Capital L-O-R-D. And the word that David used for Lord is the word Yahweh. Yahweh. And this is God's most sacred and personal name. Yahweh is translated as God, all capital, Lord, all capital, or Jehovah. And it means, He who is Jehovah, the self-existing or eternal existing one. It is the distinctive, ineffable name of the God of Israel. The word ineffable means not to be expressed in words. It was too great to be described in words. That, that word must not be spoken. When the Hebrew people thought of Yahweh, uh, they thought of the one who causes all things to be. The God who brought the, who brought the nation of Israel into existence. And the Jews considered this name too holy to be vocalized. And they still do. Such was the reverence of God's holy name that the word Yahweh was considered so sacred that it was pronounced only once a year by the high priest on the great day of atonement in the most holy place. I read that the scribes who copied his word, this, this word, Yahweh, I read that they used a new quill and they took a bath every time they wrote that word. Such was the reverence for God's holy name. Far cry from today, isn't it? When God's name is blasphemed. When God's name is taken in vain. Traditionally, observant Jews do not say this name aloud. As it is believed to be too sacred to be uttered. But often use euphemisms. Now, what is a euphemism? It's, it's a word. They're words that take the place of another word, okay? So when referring to the name of deity, they would use the word, rather than Yahweh, they use the word Hashem. 
which means the name. Or Shem Hamaforish, which means the ineffable name. But they do not use the word Yahweh. When Moses asked God what he should tell the children of Israel who had sent him, you remember what God said? God told Moses what? Tell them that I am has sent him. And that word I am is the word Yahweh. They, they, they would know that this was the Lord, that this was Yahweh that Moses was talking about. The self-existing uh, or eternal existing Jehovah. Uh, let's see, who's some, who would like to read? Who would like to read? Brother Doug, if you'll read if, Exodus, please. Exodus 3, verse 13 and 14. Thirteen and fourteen, and then someone else, someone else to read John. Brother Mike, would you read John eight, fifty-eight and fifty-nine, please? Abby, Mark, if you'll read John eighteen, verse five through six, and that'll be the last one. So here we see in Exodus what took place. Yes, sir. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Isn't that something? And then when he did, they knew exactly who he was talking about. By the way, by the way, this is the name uh, that, that Jesus used when the Jews became angry and they wanted to stone him. You recall that? This is in John 5, verse 58 and 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, which is emphasizing, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Thank you. Why did they become so angry that they wanted to stone him? Because he was claiming himself to be Yahweh. The great I am. The self-existing God. Uh, this is also the name that Jesus used when the crowd uh, who came to arrest him. You remember the crowd that came and what happened to that crowd? Remember all the soldiers came and they came with, with uh, Judas? Let's read it. John 18, 5 through 6. They answered him, uh, Jesus said, uh, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I, I, I can't imagine, I, I, can't, I can just barely visualize this. Can you imagine this crowd of soldiers? And Judas, of course, with them. They've come to arrest Jesus and they ask for him. And he says, here I am. That's me. I am. And then what happens? This crowd, I don't know the size of it, but it says that they all went backwards and they fell to the floor, to the ground. Can you just visualize that in your mind? Doug, you got something on your mind. Um, 
You're thinking deeply there. <laughs> well, um, if they did that and recognized who he was, why did they arrest him? Because mm-hmm. they were blinded. Their hearts and minds were blinded. Yes, I have a question. I have a question. And the answer to that question. Yes, sir. You have the answer. Basically, okay. Um, when you think about it, the word, God's word, every time God spoke, there was a reaction. I mean, physically spoke. So Christ at that point is claiming, I am. You can't not be overwhelmed. And I, and I think they fell back because just like God's word brings life, mm-hmm. it can also bring death. Yes. And I think even though they were still in unbelief and they were still blinded, just by God's speaking, overpowers You know the thought that just came to my mind? How many of you know who Benny Hinn is? Yeah. Jesus didn't do what Benny Hinn does. He didn't blow on him. He just spoke the word, I am. And they fell backwards to the ground. And that's the power that, uh, of our great shepherd. Yes, sir. When they fell backwards... Did they just fall back because of the power of God? I believe it was His power, His did, Word. Did their eyes open up for two seconds, and then they closed again? I, I think when they hit the ground, they didn't know what hit them. There you go. <laughs> Personally, I don't think they knew what was going on. All of a sudden, they're picking themselves up off the ground. And that was God's power that He did that. And I can't explain it any, any better than we have here. So when Jesus said, I am, He was literally saying... I am from all eternity. I have existed before all ages. I am the everlasting God. And the Jews knew exactly what He meant. And that's amazing, isn't it? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, we're going to find that, uh, you will find as you read the Old Testament, that, that there are what, uh, what are called Jehovahistic combinations. All right? And uh, the, it, it, what, it, what, the, what those are is the name Jehovah plus another name uh, describing God's character. And um, uh, the Lord willing, next week we're going to pick up the lesson there. And we're going to look at several of these names. Okay? And I'll give you one, for instance. Jehovah Jireh. We've heard that? Jehovah Jireh. And I'll go in more detail, but that simply means the Lord Jehovah will provide. And so we'll look at the Jehovahistic combinations uh, next week. I've got, um, I believe I have here about nine of them. And uh, that'll finish off this first, this first lesson here, okay? Now let's finish up by this. Psalm 23, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh. He's my shepherd. And I want to ask you tonight, is he yours? Do you have that assurance in your heart that he is your shepherd, your personal shepherd. And uh, I trust that he is and that you know him as your personal savior. If not, tonight could be the night you make him, that he, would, he can become your shepherd tonight if you ask him to. Father, thank you for this time together. Bless the remaining time of prayer. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for Jesus, the great shepherd. And Lord, we look forward to learning more about him in the weeks to come. Thank you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said.